And we've been working through a series called Overwhelmed, and we're almost done. I know we've been in it for a little while, but we could just keep going. <laughs> uh, but we're going to do one more after this one next week, and then we're going to move into something else. But uh, we're going to talk today about actioning it, actioning God's Word. I don't know if you've ever uh, fallen asleep at the wheel while you're driving, but uh, it happened to me about four years ago. Uh, we were uh, uh, coming back from a trip, and uh, we... Our plane was, plane was supposed to land in Spokane at about 11.30 at night, and I figured, you know, we could, we could drive back after that. Uh, but our plane was quite delayed, and we didn't get uh, to the, the airport until about 2 in the morning. And we were coming from a different time zone, so we had been up a really, really long time. Uh, but, you know, I'm a man, we can do it. <clears throat> and so uh, we start driving, and, you know, about a three-hour drive, and we made it quite far to about 5 o'clock in the morning when suddenly Marie and I both woke up, and our car was flying into a snowbank and uh, woke us up and uh, and thankfully we were not going fast at the time and thankfully we went into the snowbank and at uh, five o'clock in the morning there was a house kind of nearby I didn't wake them up but they had a nice shovel in front of their deck and I borrowed it and <laughs> dug out my car for a while and got it back on the road and we made it home but um, but the problem of my car going off the road it wasn't the car's fault uh, it wasn't necessarily my circumstances' fault, though they made it worse, the plane being late. It was, it was driver error. Um, and most accidents in cars, uh, sometimes it's the cause of another car, sometimes it, it, there's external factors, uh, but most of the time it's driver error. And the same is true in our, in our lives. That when our lives, when we find our lives going off the road and into the ditch, or into a snowbank, uh, most of the time it comes down to driver error. It comes down to the person leading the car, and that is the person who has the steering wheel. Uh, who is in the driver's seat of your car today? Uh, who's got the steering wheel? Because again, often when we go off the road, it's because we're in the wheel when it should be God. A lot of things in life come down to leadership. If you have been a leader at any time, you know the, the old saying, that, as they say, everything rises and falls on leadership. And it's true that a lot of things depend on, on leadership. You look at a business that seems to be going well, uh, often you will find good leaders behind that business. You find a business that is failing and struggling. I mean, sometimes it can be an external circumstance, but most of the time it's uh, maybe because the leaders uh, of that business aren't, aren't doing the right things. Uh, we find that in churches. Churches that tend to be growing and thriving tend to have leaders who are focused on God and, and putting others ahead of themselves. And churches sometimes that are struggling tend to have leaders maybe who have gotten off track. Uh, we can look at uh, a lot of aspects in life. A lot of things rise and fall on leadership. And it's the same in our life. Whether we experience being overwhelmed or experience a more victorious, uh, victorious life has a lot to do with who is leading your life and who is the one you're looking to for all the, the major de decisions. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit first about who is leading our lives. And we can have various leaders. We can have human leaders. Uh, we can look to sort of as, as the ultimate authority of our life. We might look to a pastor or a teacher it may be some hero of ours, or some author, or a scholar. Uh, we can look to human leaders. Uh, we can look to non-human leaders. Uh, we can look to uh, money can be our leader, or, or fame, or uh, things that, that are non-human. Nature or whatever could be our leader. Or we can have God as our leader. Now, there 
issues with human leaders. Uh, human leaders have limited wisdom and knowledge. Uh, but human leaders in general are good. Uh, we need them. I mean, I look to human leaders a lot for wisdom and advice. And, you know, if I need to reach, research something, I'll research what, you know, a human has, you know, tried to figure out. Or I'll go to the doctor if I'm sick. Uh, we need human leaders. God has put them in place. We need them. But ultimately, human leaders don't know everything. And by the way, sometimes that human leader is, is me. Sometimes I am you know, in the driver's seat, and, and I'm the one who, who leads. But, but I don't know everything. You don't know anything. The greatest scholar in this world doesn't know everything. I mean, you look, if you were to draw a circle of all the knowledge in the universe, if you took the entire universe and galaxies and all the knowledge of science and medicine and, and, and psychology and, and, and theology, and you took all the knowledge out there, it would, be, it would be vast and it would be incredible. Now you can take the smartest person in the world, uh, the most brilliant scholar who ever lived, and I mean, you could just barely scratch that line in terms of all the knowledge in the universe. Uh, you can combine all our smartest people. You can take all the smartest people who ever lived and all the science and knowledge and, and, and put it all together. You might get a, get a fat line, but there's a lot of stuff we don't know. I mean, we can't even cure the common cold. I mean, there's uh, mysteries of the animal kingdom and the universe that we have, we have no idea. I mean, humans have limited knowledge. But God, of course, has 100% knowledge. Uh, he knows everything. There's not a secret we have that he doesn't know. There's not a mystery in this universe that he doesn't have the answer to. I mean, God has 100% knowledge. And this is what the Bible says. And John, for John 3, that God, he knows everything. Psalm 147, great is our Lord and abundant in power. Uh, his understanding is beyond measure. And so the problem with human leaders, when we look to human leaders as our ultimate authority, as the ultimate guiding force of our life, we've got to realize that we are following leaders who don't know everything. When God is our leader, we are having someone in front of us who actually knows every single thing in this universe, every answer to our, our struggles. Uh, human leaders, and the problem with human leaders is uh, human leaders are also sinful. Uh, every human uh, has flaws. I have flaws, I got lots of them, I got weaknesses, and so do you. And the Bible says, if we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar. And, uh, and so if we claim we uh, haven't sinned, to call God a liar means that we're wrong, right? I mean, uh, we're not perfect. Uh, whatever human leader we choose maybe to follow it is not perfect. Uh, there are flaws. Sometimes uh, we as human leaders can, uh, can lead with wrong motives. And I mean, you look at, uh, you know, a lot of the issues in the world are, ca are caused by the sinfulness of man and the sinfulness of leaders. But God, on the other hand, is perfect in every way. Psalm 18 says, God's way is perfect. Deuteronomy 32 says, He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God and does no wrong. How just and upright is he? And so when we choose God as a leader, we know we are following someone who is perfect, who never makes a mistake, who never makes an error. Uh, yet if we put human leaders in front, we know we're, we're following someone who, who does make errors. And, of course, human leaders are weak. As it says in Psalm 103, the Lord is like a, 
a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers. We bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone, as though we had never been here. I mean, there's weakness uh, about humanity. Uh, again, we don't know everything. We can't do everything. I mean, there, there's so many things I wish I could do. Uh, there's so many things that I wish I could, I could solve, and yet we are weak. We, we, we are, we are uh, powerless in, in, in some ways. It, God it is all-powerful. As it says in Jeremiah 32, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And so we need to make sure we put God as the ultimate leader, God in the driver's seat of our car. Because if we stick a human leader, whether it's me, myself, and I, or someone else, we're putting a leader who doesn't know everything, who is sinful and weak as the leading force in our life. And so sometimes we choose, because maybe human leaders have disappointed us, and they, they always will in some way, uh, that we choose, I'm going to have a non-human leader as my leader. And so sometimes we can look to things like money. Uh, we can look to nature, or we can look to, to fame, or whatever it might be. But the big problem with a non-human leader is that non-human leaders actually don't care about you. Money doesn't care about you. It uh, doesn't give a rip about you, whether you do well or you don't do well, or you make lots of money or don't do money. I mean, fame doesn't care about you. I mean, a uh, rock in the woods doesn't really care about you. I mean, and, and that doesn't work for us because we're beings who know at the core of our being that love is the most powerful force. That love is what moves us. Love is what changes us. Love is what revives us. And, and, and the problem with the non-human leaders, there's no love. But we look to God, and the very definition of God is love. Now, money doesn't care about you, but God cares about you deeply. The very definition of God is that he is love. And as, as I always say, not just 90% love, not 99% love, but he is the very definition. God cannot be unloving because his very essence is, is love. Amen. And so... We shouldn't have non-human leaders because they don't care about us. We don't want to have human leaders as our ultimate source, that we look to them, and, and it's good to look to them at times, but, but God needs to be in the driver's seat of our life. We, we need to allow him to lead. Uh, Psalm 142 says this, When I am overwhelmed, you alone, God, know the way I should turn. God knows the way you should turn. If you feel overwhelmed in any way today, maybe you feel overwhelmed because of a relationship, maybe you feel overwhelmed because of financial decisions, maybe you're feeling overwhelmed emotionally, maybe you're feeling overwhelmed in whatever way, God knows the way. A human leader might not know the way, nature or uh, some non-human force is not going to know the way, but God knows the way. And Therefore, that's the guy we want in the driver's seat. <laughs> uh, we want God leading our lives. We want to look to him as our ultimate leader because he is just superior to any other leader and, and, and far superior to anything I can come up with. Even Jesus lived this way. Uh, Jesus being this, uh, this amazing person, this in John chapter 5, it says, The Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. 
And Jesus, who is our model, our example, we call ourselves followers of Jesus, he lived a life where God the Father was in the driver's seat. He didn't do anything that he didn't see his Father doing. He would check in with God and, and pray to the Father to make sure that God was leading. And this is the way we need to live. That I don't want to do anything that the Father isn't in. I want to allow Him to drive my car. I don't want to have a thought in my life uh, that God doesn't have about my situation. I don't want to have a thought about that person in my life that the God isn't thinking about that person because I want God to lead. Because ultimately, as Jesus says, I have come to bring life and life to the fullest. And the only way that happens is when we get out of the driver's seat or we get that person out of the driver's seat or that non-human leader out of the driver's seat and we let God lead. In Proverbs 3, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. And we all want that, that last phrase. We all want that. We, we want our path straight. We want the, the, the mountains taken down and just a straight path for life. We want this, this, this victorious life or however you define it. We want that, but it's not an automatic thing. You notice what he says here. It requires trusting in the Lord with all your heart. It requires not leaning on your own understanding because there are times when we put God in the driver's seat and then, then we yank him out of there when we don't understand the situation. This is confusing, and I think you're going the wrong way, God. Let me get in there, and let me steer the car, and then we end up off the road somewhere, somewhere along the way. And it requires submission to it. But it starts out with this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. You trust in God with all your heart. You know, there's always this lie that Satan is wanting to put in your heart to get you to not trust God. Because the moment he can get you to not trust God, all of a sudden you, you remove God from the driver's seat and you kind of take over. And the lie often goes like this, that God actually doesn't really love you fully. Or God doesn't have his, the best interest for you. Uh, that somehow God is going to take your life and just going to make it horrible. <laughs> and, and we don't trust people we don't love or, or that we uh, believe that don't love us. I mean, when I know someone loves me, I will trust them. But if I think someone else is out to get me, if I think that someone doesn't actually love me, I don't put my full trust in them. And often we treat God this way. We, we subtly believe that maybe God doesn't have my best interest in mind. Maybe God is actually not quite fully for me, but kind of against me. And so we never fully trust him, and therefore we never fully allow him to lead. And I'm here to tell you that God loves you. And it's okay and perfectly fine to surrender to him and to follow him. In fact, in Romans 8, it says, We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And it goes on and says, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? It says that God is for you. And not against you. And that God being this all-powerful being. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says, I, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. I mean, God is love. Love is always other-centered. And God loves you. And he is for you, not against you. God's power is actually for you, it says in Ephesians. You can trust him. 
which means you can surrender to him. It means you don't need to fear that, that, that he's going to you know, you know, make your life horrible or something like that. I mean, often we don't trust him and often we don't allow him to lead because, we, again, we suddenly believe that God doesn't really love me fully. But he does love you. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. And this is why it says in 1 John 5, 3, this. This is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. I mean, you know when you've been perfected in love between you and God, is when you look at God's commands and you realize they're actually not burdensome. The only way you see God's commands as burdensome is if you don't trust him. If you think somehow his commands are out there to make your life worse. That somehow his commands are to, to rob life from your being and to, to rob life from your relationships. But when you understand who God is, and that he is for you and not against you, and he is love, and you're his dearly loved child, and he is a good father, then all of a sudden you look at his commands and you realize that these commands are actually there to give you life. And therefore you look at his commands and you realize that these aren't burdensome, because these actually give me life. This is love for God to keep his commands and to know his commands aren't burdensome. How do you see God's word? How do you see things when he says, you know, don't carry bitterness, don't, don't gossip, uh, to love your enemies, to, to forgive as Christ has forgiven you? You respond to those like this, these are, these are hard, and you see them as this is the pathway to life. This is the pathway to which Jesus talked about, life abundantly. And so uh, it's important that you just get this down in your life. Do you trust God with all your heart? Do you trust God with all your heart? And if there's something in you that's just like, uh, uh, ask God, God, what is that? And maybe you'll even ask right now because we believe in a God who speaks. Uh, God, what is it in my life? That is in the way of fully trusting you. Fathers, if it's a lie that we're believing, we, we cast it at your feet and we turn from it. And God, we believe the truth that you are love and that you are for us and not against us. And that your commands, God, are not to make us light, our life more miserable, but your commands are to give us life and life more abundantly. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the ways that God leads our life, in a lot of different ways, is through his word. Again, to see his word as, as words that are not burdensome, but words that actually lead us to life. In Psalm 119, it says, your word is a lamp. Uh, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Again, there are a lot of times in our life when we might feel overwhelmed and we don't know what to do. I know that's, that's like a lot, and probably you do too. <laughs> we run into a lot of things in life where we don't know what to do. But God says, I have given you my word, and your, this word is, is, is a lamp to your path. It's a guide to your path. And one of the ways we allow God to lead is to allow him to lead through his word. And to, 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 to read this book and to follow this book. Uh, and, and it's the pathway to blessing in, in uh, Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, 
nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on uh, his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And all he does, he prospers. Now that last part, uh, we want that. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, I mean, we want that. Uh, we want to be a, a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and doesn't wither, whether it's dry or, or hot. We want that. But again, it's not automatic. It's not just something that automatically happens to you. I mean, it talks in here about this person delighting in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he is meditating day and night that he is in this book. He's reading this book and meditating on this book. And he sees this book as, as a guide, as, a, as, a, as a, the path, a light to his life. It's similar to what is said in Joshua. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night. So you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. And again, of that last part, we want that. I've never met a person who said, you know, I really just don't want to succeed or prosper in my life. I just want to, just want to suck at everything I do. I mean, uh, nobody says that. Everybody wants to succeed and prosper. But again, it's not an automatic thing. This is allowing God to lead, and part of allowing God to lead is to allow him to lead by his word in your life. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate it on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Now, God's word uh, is not just about reading it, but the Bible says we actually must do it. We, we, we must action God's word, if you will. It says in James this, uh, don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says. I mean, you can read Joshua chapter 1 about succeeding and being prosperous all you want. But if you don't do what it says, there's going to be no succeeding and prospering. You can read Psalm chapter 1 all you want, about meditating in God's word, but you're not going to be this tree planted by streams and water unless you actually do what it says. And that's what it says in James. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you carefully look into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Again, all of us want to be blessed. <laughs> we all want to be blessed. But, but James says you actually must action God's word. You must do God's word, not just, just hear it. Otherwise, it's like looking in the mirror and seeing who you are and then walking away and like, do I have blue hair or brown hair? Do I, have, do I have one eye or two eye? Do I even have a nose? I mean, that's just silly. But James says it's just as silly to look at God's word and to read it and not do it. Because the leader who is all-knowing and all-powerful and all-good and loving has inspired this book. I mean, I didn't write this book. If I wrote this book, then, then sure, you can read it and not do it. That's fine. If, if a two-year-old wrote this book, then sure, read it and, and laugh at it or whatever you might. But th this was inspired by God. And because God is for us and not against us, and because he is the greatest leader who ever lived, 
it's foolish not to do what it says. It's just silly. God is saying, I want, I want to bless your life. I want you to succeed and prosper. And I've written all these amazing principles in this book, and they're divine and beautiful and wonderful. It, it would be silly, James is saying, like, just like you looked in the mirror and forgot if you had a nose or not. It's just as silly to look at this book and not do what it says. In Matthew, Jesus said the same thing. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. Notice he doesn't just say, here's these words, and then says, wow, that's a great verse for my wall. Uh, here's them and puts them into practice. Is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Both of these people faced a storm. Uh, we will face, and all of you know you have faced storms in this life. I mean, Jesus very clearly said, in this life you will have trouble. The rain comes at times, and, and it beats against our house, and, and not everything is always beautiful and easy in this world. But Jesus is saying, are you listening to God's word, or are you listening and doing God's word? Because it makes a difference whether your house stands or falls. And so this whole series called Overwhelmed. One of the big difference in living a life, whether you feel overwhelmed or not overwhelmed, comes down to this question, is are you doing God's word? Are you actioning it? Or are you just reading it? I mean, we, sometimes in the church, uh, you know, we have all these lovely verses and stuff, and we love to take these verses sometimes, and we, we throw them at the enemy. We throw them at Satan and say, take that. And, and we throw them at our situation, you know, our situation, take that, you troublesome situation. And we're throwing them at the enemy, and we're throwing them at our situation, but we're actually not living it. Uh, we ourselves aren't even actioning it. We're just throwing them around, and, and sometimes we kind of like the, the, the fun of church and gathering here and singing and, and hear a little message from little Pastor Jesse and, and all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, but all right, well, are we doing it? Or are we just hearing it? I mean, if you want to live in an overwhelmed state, just read God's Word and don't do it. Read God's Word and say, wow, that is a great verse. You know, that's that's awesome, God, and then just go do your own thing. I mean, uh, that's the secret to being overwhelmed. But if you want to live a life where you're less overwhelmed and you feel more empowered by the Holy Spirit and, you, and you, you seem to have more victory over situations, then you want to read God's Word and do what it says. You actually need, need to action God's Word. And sometimes we say, you know, I know the Bible says to, to love people, yet we go around and we gossip and slander them. But we know God's Word, but we don't do it. You know, I know it says that forgive as Christ forgives, but you know, this situation is a little different. And we push Jesus out of the driver's seat and you're not going to drive for a while because you're just going down the wrong road, you know. Uh, we do that. But if we want to be less overwhelmed, we must action God's word. And there's examples all through the Bible of, of, of this very thing. We could look at uh, Naaman, who was this, uh, this foreign army leader of Aram, and he, he had leprosy. And he hears there's a prophet in Israel who can, who can heal. And our God is a God who can heal. And so he goes to find Elisha. And so this mighty soldier, Naaman, 
went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. He, he's, he's the main prophet of the day. And Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus and the Abana and the, and the Farpar uh, uh, better than any of the rivers of Israel? Uh, why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in, in a rage. He was ticked. <laughs> you know, because he had this concept in his mind of how this prophet should act. And sometimes we do the same thing to God. We have this, this concept in our mind how God is going to act in the situation. And when he doesn't act that way, we're just like, well, get out of the driver's seat that I'm driving, you know. <laughs> and I'm going to take over the wheel. And Naaman, he, he hears the word of God. But he doesn't do it. He is not healed until finally his, the guys who are with him convince him and say, you know, why not just do it? You know, what's, what, it's not going to hurt to jump in the Jordan River. So he actually finally does what God says, and he goes in the Jordan River and he's healed. <clears throat> That's got to be us. We've got to be doers of God's word. Again, it doesn't, didn't do him any good to hear God's word. It do, didn't do him any good to have a prophet even pray over him. It wasn't until he actioned what God said that he was healed. And a lot of times, when it comes to God's principles, they're wonderful principles, but unless you action them, you're not going to experience what God has been promising. Uh, it needs to be actioned. And so we can look at some of these, uh, just as a bit of an application here. Uh, some of these verses we, we read, maybe we love, have them on our wall, but do you action them? We can look at Matthew 6, 33. Uh, Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given you as well. And again, we love that last part, you know, uh, I want all these things, you know, uh, I want these things. But unless you action this verse, it's not going to happen. Unless you actually do what it says, and it says to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, to put God first in your life, to trust in him with all of your heart and not lean on your own understanding, then all these things will be added unto you. I mean, is this a verse that you just know? Is this a verse maybe just on your wall? Or are, is this verse that you action? You action every day in your life. Today, I'm going to seek first the kingdom because I know that is the path to life. If you just hear this word and don't do it, you're like the guy building a house on the sand, and when the storm comes, you're not going to experience the end of this promise, that all these things will be given you as well. We can look at Philippians 4. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He does. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And again, we love that last part. Man, I, I want God's peace, and I want his peace that surpasses my circumstances, because sometimes my circumstances are really hard. I want this peace that, that surpasses everything, but it does no good to read that verse. It does no good to memorize that verse. It might help a little bit, but it's not until you action it does it happen. And to action it means you've got to be praying about everything. 
And you need to be talking to God what you need. And you need to be thanking Him and, and have this heart of gratitude. Uh, the similar to Isaiah 26.3. You will keep in perfect peace. Again, we want that. I don't think there's a single person, even if you're here and you don't even like God, you came because someone said you're going to buy, buy you lunch. Uh, it doesn't matter who you are, you just feel like, I want perfect peace. But again, it doesn't do any, any good until you action what God says. And to action it means you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. So when that storm comes, your thoughts are not fixed on your problem. Your thoughts are not fixed on how you know, horrible your life is and how no one's there for you, whatever it might be. Your thoughts are fixed on Jesus and how your identity is solid in Him and how He loves you and how He's good and how all things are possible for Him. That's where your thoughts are fixed. If you don't action that, you're not going to have that peace. Sometimes people come to me and they're, just, they're falling apart and there's no peace and, and, and they're just not actioning God's Word. We can go on to Philippians 4. Affix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. As Second Corinthians 10 says, take every thought captive uh, or take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Again, is this just a verse, a bumper sticker? Or is this something you're actioning? To fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right. I mean, how often do we begin to fix our thoughts on what is the issue and the problem and that person over there and, and that little juicy piece of gossip I have and, you know, how dare that person do and we, we don't, you know, give people the benefit of the doubt and our mind is fixed on all these things and, and it's no wonder we don't feel victorious at times. Because it's not until this verse is actually actioned where you are serious about fixing your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. And if any thought comes in when you're actually this, you, you just put it down. You kill that thought. And you focus on what is true and lovely and admirable and worthy of praise. I mean, to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ, again, is that just a nice verse? Or do you action, action that verse? And you're constantly pushing away thoughts that are not of God, and you're putting in thoughts that are of God. Again, you cannot afford to have any thought in your mind about your situation, about another person, about yourself, that God isn't thinking. It'll always get you off. It'll always send your car into the snowbank. Action these, action these verses. Or Isaiah 40, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Again, some we want. We want to feel strong in this life. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Again, this is a verse we action. We put our hope in the Lord. We don't spend all our time focusing on how horrible our problem is, though they come. But in those problems, we hope in the Lord, and we allow him to lead. We put him in the driver's seat. And so uh, my challenge today is, let's move to action God's word. I know sometimes it's really fun to grovel and to have a pity party and just, you know, my life is horrible and everything is, I mean, sometimes that kind of feels good for the moment, but it just sends your car in the ditch. And that's not fun in the end. Makes everybody else miserable around you. I mean, what you need to do is action God's word and to say, 
God, he knows everything. He's not weak. He's not sinful. He's amazing. He's good. He is for me, not against me. I can trust him with all my heart. And he has written down amazing principles in here that are not written by a two-year-old. They're not written by Pastor Jesse. They're inspired by him. And so it's only to your detriment if you don't action God's word. It's only to your detriment if you, if you do your little devotion in the morning and you read it, but you don't do it. God says, if you want to be like that guy who builds his house on the rock, if you want to be like that guy who is blessed and like a tree planted by streams of water, then action God's word. Action God's word. Do what God says. So, Father, we pray that you would seal this in our hearts. I pray you'd move us beyond people, God, who just throw Bible verses at the enemy or throw it at a situation to people, God, who actually live what you say. God, I pray you would, we would live as the followers of Jesus who take captive every thought and make it obedient to you. I pray we would live as people who, who forgive as Christ forgives. I pray, God, you would help us to live as people who think and fix our minds on what is good and lovely and pure and, and, and awesome. God, I pray we put away lies. God, we put away this desire to have a pity party. And God, just enter into your presence. And God, I pray again that if there's anything, uh, one in this room has any mistrust of you because of a situation, because maybe uh, you didn't come through the way they thought. And God, I pray you would push away those lies that the enemy has planted. God, and just release the truth that you sent your son because you love us. That you sent your son to die on the cross, even though we were enemies. That you, you died for us. That you love us that much. And that you're for us and not against us. And so we pray this over our lives. And we pray that you would lead us, God, into these new waters. In Jesus' name.